Today, prefacing my message, probably going to say something you would never expect to hear from the pulpit. Today's message is probably rated PG, parental guidance, and I may venture in for a very brief time into the R area. So just like if you go to the movies or you go uh, and watch TV, it'll say this show is rated G uh, for general audiences and PG parental guidance and R restricted, and I'll stop there. Um, So it kind of gives you a warning. Uh, I'm saying this um, especially for those who might be watching this message uh, on whatever uh, social media site that we have or uh, listening to it later. Uh, I don't see any uh, really young children that I have to worry about uh, what I'm going to say. We're looking at the commandments of God, and as I've said as we've looked through these last five, that they are wrong, not because they've been made commandments that we're to do or not to do, but they're wrong, or we should do, and that's why they're part of the commandments. So, for instance, when the Word of God says that we are not to have any other God before Him, that's just right, because He's our God. To have any other God before Him would simply be wrong. It's not wrong if there wasn't a part of the commandment. Now, these three that we're going to look at today takes a shift. The last five that we took a look at, you might want to say, related to our worship and our presence of God and his representatives, our parents and those types of things. The next five is going to be more related to how we deal with each other. As Jesus said, there are two commands in which you can do, which will, you will obey all of them. The first five, if you will, is if you love the Lord your God with all your might, with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul, then you won't violate the first five. The next command is similar. It says, and you are to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you follow that command, you will not violate the next five, but we're only going to take a look at three. These three, I would like to, as a short synopsis, say, Thou shalt not take what is not yours. That's in essence what the three commands that we're going to take a look at. So in Exodus chapter 20, starting with verse 13, it says this, You shall not murder. Why is that wrong? Because it's not your life to take. You didn't give the life. God gave it. Therefore, it is wrong to take life. Now you say, this is the one command I'm pretty sure I haven't violated. You know, uh, you know I, I don't know whether I believe the pastor about the taking the God's name in vain and using God versus whatever. And, you know, maybe I've put other things before God. But this one, I'm safe. Except for Jesus. You know, that mild-mannered guy who this milk toast who just loves everybody and wouldn't make anybody mad. He says in Matthew chapter 6, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 5, starting with 
verse 20, I think. You have heard it said, you have heard the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the courts. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you are good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into fiery hell. Ouch. Now, as a lawyer, I put a lot of stock into saying to your brother, because when I'm in the car and somebody pulls in front of me, I say a lot worse things than these. Fortunately, I'm in my car and they don't hear me. But this is the type of thing we tend to think when God comes, it's just actions. But God looks at the heart. And your neighbor, your brother's reputation is not yours to take. And by saying these types of words diminishes his character. And you take it from him. And we have the old adage, sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt me is so wrong. Because you can mend from broken bones. But sometimes people's lives have been devastated by what people have said. And they have a difficult time ever overcoming it. What you say does matter. And so maybe we're not as safe in these Ten Commandments on this one. Because of our previous language. Going back to Exodus chapter 20, you're looking at verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. Again, those of you who have been, quote unquote, faithful physically in your marital relationship. I'm safe on this one. Here comes Jesus again. In Matthew, again, chapter 5, verse 27. You have heard it that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, Jesus takes a look at the heart and the intentions of the person. It's not simply the act, but it is the desire and intentions of the person. The first commandment, thou shalt not murder, takes away somebody's life. Committing adultery takes something else from the person. And let me explain what that is. It goes back, if you will, to Genesis chapter 2. Verse 21 says this. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed it up the flesh at the place. And the Lord God fashioned to a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man the man said now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man and then the commentary for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh what you're taking when you commit adultery is you're taking the 
desire and the commitment and the God-ordained marriage of one becoming, two becoming one flesh, you destroy that. You take that away. You take away that intimacy. You take away that oneness. And to further explain it, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting with verse 15, it says this, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? He answers the question, may it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. He's saying, there is not only this understanding that you, the two shall become one when you marry, but there is a marriage, if you will, of us to Christ, that when we become believers, that he dwells within us. And then when he dwells within us, whatever we do as a part of our body, we then join to whatever we do. So then he recommends, verse 18, flee immorality. Every other sin that is committed is outside the body, but the immoral man commits sin against his own body. Now this is where I'm going to get into the little bit of the R section. We tend to think that sin is sin. But it's not. One of the examples I always give is. If I were to say to you. Loan me X amount of money and that X amount of money would be devastating to you if if I didn't repay it. And I had no intentions of repaying it. I would be lying to you. And you would be acting to your detriment based on that lie. That is far different than if I tell an ugly bride, she's beautiful. I've not harmed her and I've not harmed me. Not all sin is the sin. And what Paul is telling us is, yes, sin is sin. But a sin that you commit in the body when it comes to sexual immorality is different. And you might say, I don't think so. Let me give you an example. A child who is molested sexually doesn't get over it. It harms and haunts that child the rest of his or her life, even though that child did nothing wrong. A woman who is raped deals with that the rest of her life even though she did nothing wrong you could slap a woman and she may be angry and may be bruised but it will not have the same impact when it comes to sexual sins and sexual relationships Paul is making that very clear. 
A sin that you commit with your body is different. It has a devastating impact on you and whoever you commit it with. So he returns to verse 19 and says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. The command is not simply remove the sexual immorality. The command is to glorify God in our body. And to drive it home even further as far as taking away that from another. Is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Starting with verse 1. Finally then brethren. We request and extort you in the Lord Jesus. That as you receive from us restrictions as to how you ought to walk. And please God. Just as you actually do walk. That you excel, excel still more. For you know that what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God. I'm going to stop there. For this is the will of God. I don't know how many people buy books trying to figure out what the will of God is. And there'll be books on the shelf. How to determine the will of God and how to this and how to that. Here's one. All right. And here's my suggestion. Since I'm now going to tell you what one thing is that is the will of God. How about we do this one? And then we figure out the next one and do it. Instead of keep looking for what the will of God is, that it might be our will. So this is the will of God. Your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother, brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger of, in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. Now, what does he mean by you shall not defraud your brother? Remember, the whole point of these three commands is not to take what's not yours. When you defraud your brother, what he's saying is here is when you have sexual relationship with a person who is not your spouse, you rob the person that you're not marrying from that intimacy that the two would only have as one flesh if you've not defrauded them all of a sudden now it's not just about me it's what I take from my brother now in our culture it's a little changing but back in the day when I was a young man which was last millennium. It was frequently situated where the guy would always try to get the girl to consent to having sex. And one of his methods would be to say, 
Well, don't you love me? If you love me, then you will give me yourself. Her answer ought to be, but if you love me, you'll wait. Because if we marry, then that will be something that we will enjoy together. And if we don't get married, it will be something that will not defraud either of our partners in the future. You see, we are to hold our bodies in holiness and sanctification, the process of holiness, that we might truly share each other as one flesh. I tell people that sexual relations have three primary purposes. There is a denomination that teaches only one. That one is procreation. That's the purpose. I differ with them. There are two other ones. The other is relational. It creates a deeper bond because you are now one flesh. The problem is in the marriage, everybody's trying to figure out which one. Is it the guy or the woman? And you're both wrong. It's supposed to be the Lord. The two of you are one, his And that relationship creates a deeper bonding in relationship. That's why you can't have multiple partners. That's why the body is affected. And the third, it's recreational. It's fun. But when we participate in adultery, or premarital sex. We rob either the spouse or the future spouse of that intimacy of their relationship. And that ought not to be. That is why you love your neighbor as yourself. For God has called us for the purpose, not for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So that he rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. So he tells us these commands are for our own good. They will create a much healthier and deeper committed relationship if we follow what the Lord tells us. And then there's one more area that he tells us not to take. In Exodus 20, verse 15, it says, And you shall not steal. You shall not take that property of another's to your own. I know this person when she was a little girl was in the nursery. And while she was in the nursery, there was a crayon that she wanted. So she took it and went home and felt so guilty the entire time she had to return the crayon back to church because it wasn't hers. She was a little girl. She 
but she knew the difference between right and wrong. So many times what happens is we do what is not right. Notice I didn't say just wrong. What is not right. And we do it so often that it sears our conscience. Well, they won't miss it. They have so much more. It's okay. And the reality is we are taking what is not ours to ourselves. So we are not to take another's life because it was not ours to give and not ours to take. We are to not commit adultery because that relationship is not ours and not ours to ruin and devastate. And we are not to take the property of another's because again it is not ours even though you might feel that you could use it better. As we've seen what these commands say and how we see that Jesus has raised the bar on following them. You might say, well, I'm guilty. I've said some very mean things to people. I've lusted it in my heart. I thought I could get away with it as long as I didn't do the deed. Here's the wonderful thing about God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. I'm only going to read those things that were done in the command. Nor thieves. And then we'll look at next week. Nor the covetous will inherit the kingdom of God. That kind of includes all of us. And it's a depressing thought. However, that's not the end of this verse. Such were some of you. We Christians. Yeah, we were like that. We're no better than the world. But you were justified. I'm sorry, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Yeah, our actions were violating the commands. And truth be told, we violate them more frequently than we care to admit. But we have been changed because of Jesus. We have been washed. We have been sanctified. We have been justified. Several months ago, before church, I went to McDonald's drive through to get some breakfast. And there was this gentleman on the other side of the drive through talking to another gentleman. And on his shirt, he had some very not nice things to say about self-righteous Christians. I wanted to, but I didn't, also didn't want to get in a debate. I wanted to roll down my window and say, you know, I kind of agree with you, but I'm not self-righteous. 
I'm only righteous because of the blood of Jesus. My righteousness does not come from me. My righteousness does not, not come because I do or don't do the commands. My righteousness comes from him. And I seek to follow and not do the things that he's told us not to do and to do the things that he's told us to do, not because it will impress him or get me into heaven, because none of those things will because I've already fallen short of the glory of God. But I follow it because I love him and he loves me. I follow them because I know that because he's told us these things that are for my good and not my evil. We sang about freedom in God. So often the world thinks there's all these do's and don'ts that we're commanded to do and not. And therefore, we're somehow we suffer as a result. And in reality... If we follow what God has commanded, there is greater freedom because we're no longer slaves to sin. But we're servants of God. And he has told us these things again, not to keep us from having fun, but that we might experience real joy. In our marital relationships, that we might experience True oneness, not guilt and shame. That we might experience genuine love for one another by not, not only diminishing their life, but diminishing their reputation. And that we are satisfied with what God has given us rather than taking from another. These three commands can be summed up by simply saying that I choose to love my neighbor as I have loved myself and that I will do nothing to harm him or her just as it is my hope that my brother or my sister will do nothing to harm me because we love the Lord. And his commands are for our good. And we follow them not out of fear, but we follow them in love. And the only way to follow these commands is not from the outside. It's from the inside. Changing your desires. Changing your affections. Changing your commitments. This is the will of God, your sanctification. He does that not from the outside, but inside. And when he's changed us from the inside, it will show out through the outside. And all God's people said.